You are listening to Armchair Theology, a theological podcast for untheological people. Join Pastor Stephen from Bayview Bible Church and Dr. John McMath of Moody Bible Institute as they walk through the basic beliefs of Christianity, talk about what they mean, and why it matters for us today. And all right. Good morning or good afternoon or good evening, everyone. I am Stephen and I'm joined by my co-host, Dr. McMath, and we are here with another episode of Armchair Theology amidst this coronavirus shutdown. I feel like it's been the fourth month of January and we're just getting unusually warm weather. How is life in your world, Dr. McMath? On the the other side of the valley, it's it's a very similar situation. The lockdown continues, the complaints continue. Uh, uh, but I, I have found that some of the grocery store shelves have started filling back up again. Yeah, it's kind of interesting to see every week the toilet paper aisle slightly yes. get more and more slightly toilet paper. Get more, uh, more. Yes. Because the hoarders yes. have got all they can store. Exactly. It's, it's <laughs> like seeing a forest after a wildfire slowly begin slowly to restore grow. itself, and you just know that nature is coming back into it. <laughs> it was fun to see the sign at Costco saying no refunds on toilet paper yeah yeah cleaner yeah or something else yeah <laughs> now i wasn't planning on doing this with you dr mcmath but uh i i just have to show you this there was a church i'm not going to say what church it was and and it's a great church anyways but they, they posted an announcement for an event on facebook that during this particular time I thought was actually really funny, and I'll show what, I'll show it to you guys too as well later on the video. But I'm just gonna pull it up for you, and, and I'll read it out loud for you. But I saw this on Facebook. <laughs> our cemetery our cemetery work party is this Saturday the 16th from 10 a.m. to noon. Bring a shovel and rack if you can make it out. <laughs> I knew that the coronavirus was bad, but I didn't know it was quite hitting churches this hard, Doctor McMath. I gotta say. <laughs> When I saw that, I just couldn't help but but chuckle a little bit. But anyways, our church, we're going to be back having services the first Sunday of June. So I am, I'm looking forward to seeing all of you again. And, and well, most of, no, just kidding. I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing you all again and, and us having uh, worship together. And have you seen the new Hobbit movies that have come out within the past 10 years? I imagine you probably I saw the yeah. first one in the string and decided that it wasn't worth my time. They got, yeah, this is not, unfortunately, a Lord of the Rings podcast, but I tend to agree. The first one was rough. It was definitely a disappointment, and they just got worse with, with each yeah. and every one. There, too much emphasis on know, the wild sword fights and monsters and explosions. All and the computer the, graphics kind of cheesy. Typical and, Hollywood yeah. Yeah. overkill. Well, the reason why I bring it up is because Gandalf, the, the actor who plays Gandalf, Sir Ian McKellen, I, I saw a little featurette, a little commercial featurette, I guess, about how they made the movie. And it, it was this really sad slash humorous scene where Gandalf, he, he, he's all dressed up in, in his robes and so forth, and he's at Bilbo's house, and he's sitting at the table at Bilbo's house. But the thing is, is that he's not actually at Bilbo's house. He's in a studio surrounded by a green screen. And he's not actually surrounded at the table by dwarves. He's actually surrounded by like little broomsticks and little props. 
and he just kind of put, you just saw him kind of put his head in his hands and you hear him mumble. I, I could show you the video link. He says, this is not why I got into acting. <laughs> and that's how I feel as a pastor. That's really how I feel as a pastor. Like, I am, I am meant in ministry to be with people. Like, we're meant to be together. This, yeah. Yeah, yeah. The technology is nice, but it's just not the same. And, and we're looking forward to getting back to, to the I way am, that it should I be. I am so there. <laughs> you know, I, I, we just had our, uh, our, we were supposed to have been in Italy in April. We were supposed yeah. to go again in August. Now August has been canceled. Now it's up in the air whether it will even be possible to go to the Philippines in October, for heaven's sakes. Uh, uh, so far, they've had virtually no cases in the Philippines, but they're shut down. Uh, and I, what I do is very time limited because I'm getting older. Now, this travel is hard, uh, uh, and every trip is precious. Uh, yeah. Because um, the online get-togethers with uh, with people is just not the same. It really all, is. All of you yeah. out there in podcast land, we miss you. We really do. Uh, this is. I'm glad we have this, but. Exactly. This is not why I got into acting. Yes, this, this is, is not, not why I got into acting. Yes, no, this is not why we got into ministry. Absolutely. Yeah, you're, so. it, it's, uh, it's worse at my house because I really do have a green screen. That's that's right. You do. Should we uh, should we I release really the secret of? Uh, oh my goodness! I'm surrounded by all this technical stuff. Yeah, and screens all over the place. <laughs> my wife way over there, and she can't even see what I'm doing. Yeah, uh, uh, it is. Yeah. Mm. But yeah. regardless, we are able to do this, which even 10 years ago may not have been nearly as possible as it is now. Not like this. Not, not, not like, like this. No. So we are thankful, and we really are thankful to you guys who are watching and, and who try to prioritize making this a part of your week. And we are just moving right through the basic beliefs of Christianity. We, we call this armchair theology because uh, we just want to talk about what is what are the doctrines that Christians should believe? A lot of times people don't really learn these things unless they go to our freshman college class somewhere. Hmm. And that really shouldn't be the case. Uh, everyone is a theologian and we need to look at what God's word says, but, but also look at maybe some of the difficult topics. And when talking about difficult topics, some of the, some of the more popular, you might say right now, <laughs> difficult topics tend to do with what is the Bible? Or what is the Bible not? And so that's why last week we talked about this idea of inspiration. Yep. The idea that, that God's word is not just a historical work along with other religious works, but that it is actually God-breathed, uh, carried along by human writers, but directly from God's will. Today we're going to deal with the other big I word. There's kind of these two big... <laughs> I words that exist in bibliology, the, the theology of the Bible. First one, obviously, is inspiration. And the second one is the word inerrant. What I imagine you guys have probably heard people throw around that word before. And like a lot of theological words, if you're walking down the street and someone came up to you with a microphone and said, Sir, Madam, could you please tell us what inerrant means? If the Bible is inerrant, well, what does that mean? Most people may think, well, I, I think I could answer, but if you really had to be pushed to it, uh, 
most of us really wouldn't truly be able to give a definition. Yet, we do believe, and the Bible does claim, that it is inerrant. So, yeah. so Dr. McMath, what do we mean when we say that the Bible is not only the inspired Word of God, but it's also inerrant? Now, it used to be we didn't, we didn't bother with uh, the term inerrant. A um, hundred years ago, it was unnecessary. Uh, conservatives would use the term uh, infallible or authoritative, and that's what the church has always believed. Uh, but 100, 150 or so years ago, the biblical critics began attacking uh, in some very sophisticated ways that required an answer. And so we actually invented the term inherent in order to very specifically say what we mean. The problem with the, the term, mm-hmm. from my point of view, yeah. is that it's negative. Hmm, it, says, it says what isn't there. Okay, you're looking for errors. You're not going to find any here. Okay, it's so break up totally the word. devoid, yeah. inerrant, empty yeah. of errors. No uh, error, no, yeah, no inerrant. Error. Okay, uh, and I, I think it probably be, once you say that you're inviting the critic to say, oh, yeah. here's one I found one on page seventy six. I find, there it is. Now you've got to either defend that or you're totally. It's a glass half empty me. kind of word. Yeah, it, it really is. It, it, yeah. it props up the wrong point that's trying to be made. Yeah, it's a, it prompts up the right point, uh, but, but well, what I mean by that it is, does it in a very philosophical way. Yeah. I think there's a more practical way of defining inerrancy. Okay. Okay. When when Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, mm-hmm. and, and then over in John 17, he says, uh, thy word is truth. Mm-hmm. Uh, God always tells the truth. If the Bible is the word of God, duh, Mm -hmm. then he's telling the truth. Uh, Well, what about figurative language? Well, sometimes we use figurative (laughs) language to tell the truth. Yeah, absolutely. I I got up on the wrong side of the bed this morning. That's figurative language. It means I'm in a bad mood. Mm -hmm. Was I telling the truth? Well, yeah. Oh, yes, definitely. What about approximations? Yeah. Were there 200,000 or 300,000? Well, it really doesn't matter. Yeah. So, uh, But, it, you know, it's, it's an approximation, and it's close enough for what we're trying to do. So let me backtrack on something you said, because I thought it was really interesting. And I think, yeah, whenever we talk about theology, something we always have to talk about is the history that kind of led up to that theology. <laughs> why do we use these terms, or, or why do we do things in this order, or why do we call this thing that... And we use the word inerrant to say that, okay, the Bible is free from errors. But you said that about 150 years ago, or maybe 100 years ago, we used a different word. What was that word again? Uh, infallible. Infallible. What would you say yeah, is the difference I mean, between... The problem with infallible is mm-hmm. that it's, a, it's an ambiguous word. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what do, what do we mean by infallible? Uh, <clears throat> those of us who are evangelical, right-wing, conservative rednecks uh, would say that the Bible never fails. Never fails. Uh, and those who want to uh, strike a middle ground, mm-hmm. uh, which is an awful lot of Christians, including some people that I respect, uh, would say, the Bible never fails in what it intends hmm. to accomplish. 
Okay. And obviously it doesn't intend to do this or this or this or this other thing. Okay. And so anything it says about history or geography or whatever, mm. that's not necessarily true because yeah. the Bible isn't trying to teach that. The yeah. Bible isn't trying to accomplish this. The Bible doesn't care about that. Yeah. And uh, uh, the, the real conservatives said, well, that doesn't quite fit God's word being true. So we need another word mm-hmm. that says the Bible is without error mm-hmm. in all that it in affirms or uh, implies mm-hmm. in the original autographer. And what do you mean by autographer? <laughs> the, uh, the, the autograph. That's in the, this in is the, the original scribbling down. The original, I know. Yeah. Scribbling the down is scribble. Mm-hmm. When, yeah. uh, when Paul mm-hmm. sat down in his garret room in Corinth mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. wrote the original copy of the Book of Romans, that yeah. was the autograph. Yeah, absolutely. Every copy made after that is a copy. Absolutely, which I'm really tempted to kind of take it down that direction, but 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 we'll hold off. We'll that's hold a, off because we do because like there's a lot. Yeah, there's a there's a great big rabbit trail there, and uh, it's so, kind of fun. So to avoid that, let, let me summarize because I, I think this is really interesting because I just enjoy history and I think this is something that maybe Christians should be reminded of, which is that it seems to be, and just based on what I've been taught and what I've heard, is that up until about 100 150 years ago there really was not that much of a theological problem of defining a term of inerrancy or what the Bible is or is not, because generally the Western world held the Bible as true. Generally, people said, oh yeah, the Bible, it is a holy book. It is from God. We see it as authoritative, as coming from God, as inspired. And it wasn't until this creeping in of modernism, basically, and into and there's a whole lot we could talk about that too, but just our, our colleges in the United States and in the Western world where it became more liberalized, more what they would consider modernized, and they would look at these geographic tidbits, historical tidbits, uh, and they would find things that they would consider to be inconsistencies, yep. and they would use that as an attack on the authority overall yep. of this is coming from... God's word. So yeah, that's precisely what's going on. It, it, mm-hmm. Surprisingly, there's a whole lot of history here, and we. I, I know. I am. We're, we're trying to be about careful. Twelve hours of lecture. We're walking the cliff. Of, <coughs> yeah, we, we really are. Mm-hmm. We could fall yeah. off into it. Yeah. Uh, the, the Reformation is just one part of a of a of a whole revolution in thinking that began happening around 1400 AD. Uh, uh, this is followed up by the Enlightenment, by the whole revolutionary age. All, all of this stuff is going on at once. And one of the, mm-hmm. the big things that comes out of that for, for Christians is what we call the rise of biblical criticism. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the deists were the first to, to attempt yeah. this. Yes, there is a God, but he just started things and then walked away and mm-hmm. hasn't been heard from since. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, so the Bible is meaningless. Yeah. Um, uh, Theology mm-hmm. is only accurate when it directly applies to the created world. Um, stuff like that. It was a product of kind of this larger world movement that was happening where people were trying to analyze the universe through scientific, objective terms. So they thought, well, we should do the same thing with the Bible and yep. we should reduce the Bible to basically just a objective human 
natural yeah. history. Yeah, yeah. Analyze it according to mm-hmm. secular standards. Yeah. Uh, but in order to do that, you have to make the presupposition yeah. that there is no God in any mm-hmm. in any yeah. realistic way. Yeah. Yeah. You know, uh, the the secular thinker is allowed to think about a god. Yeah. But not if he has any practical impact. Yeah. So that all brings us up then really to the question of the the trickle down of this massive kind of human shift over the past 500 years brings us to the point where the average Joe gets on Facebook and that one liberal (laughs) friend that they're friends with on Facebook, but they really wish they weren't is posting stuff online that just really grinds your gears because they'll post some little thing saying, Oh, look, the Bible says this, but then in another verse it says this and they appear to be the opposite or, Oh, look, the Bible says this and there's no record of it in history. So, haha, you're making it up. You believe in fairy tales. And we get mad and we just go, uh, and we do one of two things. We either just totally ignore it and hope for the best, <laughs> or we just refuse to, we, we just kind of stick our head in the sand and just assume that they're all just bold faced lying and that we'll just trust our pastor. And what should we make of this book of the Bible that we're, we're going to presuppose, because this is a biblical podcast, is the inspired word of God. Yeah. It is it is read and we follow it as followers of God, yet it does appear to have things that are inconsistent. Is it is it okay for us to have a book from God that does not appear to be accurate or perfect in every jot and tittle? How, what, what should we make of that? Okay. <laughs> Okay. Okay. We'll say several things. Yeah. Uh, Everything that the critics claim as an inconsistency is not necessarily an inconsistency. Just because some superficial thinker thinks he's got found a gotcha doesn't make it worth my time. Mm -hmm. You know, I I uh, uh, I learned a while back that uh, everybody who brings up something stupid on an internet forum is not necessarily worth the pixels it takes to answer. That's a big hump to get over. When you get over over. it, your sanctification just goes through the roof. It really does. Why get get mad at these people? Their their biggest problem is ignorance. Yeah, Um, our job is not to fix the wrongs of the internet. (laughs) uh, It it, it isn't going to happen. Um, No. You know, they, they, there is a cure for stupid, but I'm not necessarily called to fix that. Uh, at, at any rate, a, a very large number of the charges that are made about inconsistency or whatnot are simply not true. Uh, for, for many, many years, they famously... Uh, historical scholars said the Bible always talks about Hittites, but we know for sure there never were any Hittites. And then, lo and behold, somebody with a with a shovel or some farmer with a plow yeah. uncovered a monument, and the whole Hittite Empire came to exactly. Light. Duh. Yeah. Uh, and I even read a secular ancient history yeah. that regularly referenced the Hittites and their wars with the Egyptians, just right. as it was, of course, we always do this. Yes, we all yeah. do this. We brilliant, secular things. Yes. Always, uh, 
But, and those things happen all the time. There's so many uh, camels. That That's one that pastors love to use a lot. The idea of, oh, there's no way that people would have used camels in these biblical situations. But now that we know that, yes, it happened. Um, yeah. One of my favorite Jericho. things. Jericho. It's either Mari or Anuzi. Um, oh, golly. Now I can never remember the name. E.A. Spicer in his uh, Genesis commentary in the Anchor Bible series. Okay. Who is no friend of conservatives. Makes the note uh, that uh, Abraham and Isaac, the patriarchs' use of camels, mm-hmm. has been attacked by the critics. <laughs> Uh, but now, with uh, uh, advances in Mesopotamian archaeology, we know yeah. that camels were in use in Mesopotamia yeah. during the early Bronze Age. Yeah, it just it goes some, on and on. You know, it, it, yeah. uh, Hertz rent a camel on a clay bed. <laughs> yeah, people would rent camels to go from one place to another, and we yes. have the blinking receipts. Um, there, yeah. mm-hmm. we have the stuff. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and so those who say, oh, no, the camels were domesticated in uh, uh, yeah. in, in Turkey during the 14th century, that's yeah. crazy. Uh, and a lot of, uh, an awful lot of the, the attacks can be categorized that way. It's yeah. just ignorance on the part of the uh, critic. On face value, they think they, they found a gotcha, but they, they are people they that just really don't know their history. And they just don't mm-hmm. know. And it, you know, you can feel sorry for people like that because they're usually not willing to learn, and that's a mm-hmm. problem. Ninety-nine percent um, of all human beings I have found don't know nearly as much history as they think they do. <laughs> uh, I mean, I, I okay. Once you yeah, get past that, you mm-hmm. push that aside because okay, mm-hmm. that's not worth arguing about. Yeah. Most of the legitimate mm-hmm. questions mm-hmm. come down to one of three things. One is textual problems. Yeah. Okay. Paul in his Garrett and Corinth wrote the, the autograph. Uh, almost immediately, uh, one copy of that was sent to Rome. And yeah. another copy made by the same amanuensis was sent to Ephesus. Now mm-hmm. there's two. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And just to be on the safe side, folks in Rome and folks in Ephesus both made a copy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now there's four. Yeah. Uh, and uh, this was done by hand. Yeah, and there were uh, there were minor scribal problems that crept in. Now, interestingly, the New Testament era. Mm-hmm. We won't talk about Old Testament today. <laughs> Old <laughs> Testament yeah, is fascinating. Yeah. Uh, I, I love some mm-hmm. of that. <clears throat> New Testament era scribes were almost always professionals, and from what we can tell, the best evidence today from the papyri evidence is that the earliest New Testament scribes were secular, non-Christian professionals. Really? Yeah. Hmm. How, how, how would that happen? I mean, why would... Well, a... because they were the good scribes. Okay. So when, they were just hired, they, like they were, they were doing... Hired. Okay. Yeah. Okay. They were hired. Wow. Take a letter. Interesting. You I know, know you that, want yeah. it done right, you have a professional do it. Okay. Uh, so so the, the old saw that, well, the church did this, and it was a... Uh, Interesting. It was a conspiracy to yeah. push a particular... No, it, it wasn't, actually. Yeah. The early church thought this this was important. Um, most of the early copies of manuscripts were hired, done by wealthy people within the church. Yeah, and the, it was done by professionals. This, these, when you look at the papyrus evidence, the mm-hmm. first three centuries of the uh, textual mm-hmm. stuff, 
it's very neatly, precisely, professionally handled. Yeah. Everything is done right. So we could just go on for the rest of the day and yeah. look at all these different examples that people bring up. And we're, we're obviously not going to do that because the information's out there. Josh McDowell's New Evidence That Demands a Verdict, they, they do a great job of walking through so many different examples of uh, ways that people try to attack the what they see as errancy in the Bible and how, you know, just further look at history or textual criticism just do, does away with that. Those are things that... Yeah, know, the textual problems were, are yeah. so minor anymore. Mm-hmm. The real ones. Exactly. So minor, the, mm-hmm. you know, people who, who say, wow, that's a big deal, uh, just don't know. Mm-hmm. The second category is translation problems. Yeah, so let's talk a little bit about that because, and I'm trying to figure out how to phrase this concept, but we believe that God's word is inspired from God and it's also inerrant, meaning that it is, it's true in what it affirms, it's without errors, what appears to be errors is always, up to this point, has always been a limitation of our knowledge of the situation and yeah. more information <laughs> has resolved it over and over and over again. Like I've always told my students. Uh, ignorance on my part does not constitute an error on God's part. Absolutely. <laughs> now let's say that, because that is, I've heard that before, and that is such an important phrase to remember, that ignorance on my part yeah. does not constitute an error on God's part. That's right. Just now, because I don't know doesn't mean God doesn't know. <laughs> exactly. And that's a whole sermon in of itself. Yes, it is. But, so here's the, and I hope that you guys watch, and I, I hope you can understand maybe the, the point that I'm trying to get across here, which is, what actually is the Bible? I mean, you have your tablet there, and, and you have <laughs> words up on the screen, and, and I could pull up my phone here, and I could get every single translation of the Bible I want just by, yeah, and, touching the screen. I have. You have a, an ESV over there on the shelf. I have an ESV down in my office. I have even more translations. <laughs> so... So that is interesting. What actually is the Bible? Does it, is a translation equally inspired and inerrant like God's word is? No. Uh, are some no. translations more inerrant than others? No. Okay, I keep hearing no here. No, I feel no. like I'm making no. you do all no. the heavy no. lifting here. No, uh, you're not actually. Okay. Uh, okay. Uh, you're you're right. You're exactly right here. Uh, the translations differ because translators differ. And the objectives of translation committees differ. Uh, And the skills of the translators differ. And they're trying to serve different audiences. And so the translations differ. You know, if you're translating a a Bible that's going to be read by by little kids just starting out uh, in their native language, you're going to do a different job than if you're writing for the theological... Yeah. So, how is it then that we call the Bible inerrant, yet none of us have never in our entire lives actually had a copy of a truly inerrant Bible in our hands? That's true. Have you thought about that? And that's that's something that Christians really need to think about more. It is really necessary. You or I or anyone has never had a truly inerrant or even a truly inspired copy of the Bible in his or her hands. Yet, we believe that the Bible is inspired and inerrant. Without it. What we like to say is that we have we have a 
substantially accurate translation mm-hmm. of a substantially accurate copy mm-hmm. of the original manuscripts, which don't exist anymore. Let's talk about that real quick. I hope I, I hope you guys are sticking with us. I, I hope you're not just kind of walking around in your kitchen thinking, wow, they, they've totally <laughs> gone off the deep end. Because this, this is something that actually, yeah, <laughs> Yeah, you're over here going, you don't even know what the deep end is yet, guys. <laughs> but we haven't even begun to... But that... As, as Einstein yeah. says, I, I know you're having trouble with your math, but I assure you, my problems are even worse. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, that, that we really need to think through the idea that, first off, all of the original written down manuscripts of the Bible. So like Isaiah, when Isaiah was written down or Romans, when the letter of Romans was written down, we don't have the copies to that. And we should just put that out there now. And I'll be the first one to say that nobody has original copies of anything. Uh, My favorite example is Declaration of Independence. It's only 230 years old. That is milliseconds to most ancient historians. Yet you go to the National Archives and you can barely even read the words on the page. Uh, And this is in an atomic, sheltered, I mean, all the technology to the human knowledge is thrown at preserving this piece of paper. Yet even it could basically crumble and disintegrate at one wrong move. And it's only been 230 years. That's right. Uh, Any other great historical writing, whether it's Caesar talking about his wars up in Gaul or any other example you want to come up with, not only do we not have the original manuscript, we don't have the original written down copy of it, but the copies that we do have of it are usually hundreds and hundreds of years later. Oh, yeah. Which falls in contrast to, especially the New Testament, where the copies that we have of the New Testament, at the earliest, I think we think John is maybe, what, 25 years, I think is the earliest one we found? Yeah. Which is insane. Uh, uh, P52, mm-hmm. the Papyrus 52 in the John Rowlands Library dates to between 100 and 125 AD. Yeah. Uh, and uh, frankly, that's that's so close. It's miraculous. Realistically, it's, yeah. it could be a fragment of the original, but there's nobody that's ever going to say that. Yeah, no one's, yeah, it, we don't exactly. Want, yeah. We don't want somebody building a church over the top. Exactly. <laughs> So just to get all of that out of the way, because the things that always come up is, well, if we don't have original manuscripts, how do we know that the translations haven't totally messed it up? Because well, of the science of textual criticism, mm-hmm. which can be applied to anything. We can do this with Shakespeare. We can do yeah. this with the Koran. Exactly. Oh, which is very interesting, by the way. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm not going to go down. Mm-hmm. That's a rabbit trail. Yeah. Um, but when, when we compare the copies that we do have, the manuscript evidence, as yeah. we call it, yeah. We find what the differences are. Yeah. And it's it's possible using scientific methods to track the differences and why they arose. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and by doing that you follow a chain of evidence back to the, mm-hmm. the original. And I just want to it's say that's not the as Bible, complicated as you would yeah. think. The Bible opens itself up to more criticism than arguably any other ancient writing. Yes, of course. Which is something that should be applauded that we don't have as many opportunities to 
criticize, historically criticized, but by criticize I mean evaluate, yep. like the Quran or, or even right. Plato's Republic, because it doesn't give us the opportunity to, because yep. the copies are so far after, and they're so few. The Bible, isn't it amazing that God chose to allow the Bible to be so intensely criticized, yet at this yet at the same time prove to stand up against yep. all of that criticism. That in itself it should be even uh, talked even about. the secular scholars mm-hmm. agree that the New Testament is about ninety nine point nine percent pure. There's about one tenth of one percent that has any serious question. And yeah. none of those spots yeah. make any difference. Yeah. So in the secular <laughs> Let me turn down the little bells and whistles on my computer here. So, so w- w- with all that, so text is got to get that out of the way. Yeah, but we, the translations we have are because I'm getting bothered. Good. Okay, they're surprisingly good. Are some? Um, I'm not going to ask that question. What What makes them surprisingly good? Uh, our uh, well, for like why should we trust our bible I, I guess is what i'm saying how do we we should we should trust our translations yeah. because the translators have attempted to do an outstandingly good job so for mm-hmm. for example when the septuagint was translated out of hebrew into greek in alexandria mm-hmm. around 300 bc mm-hmm. it was done by the best Hebrew scholars who could be assembled yeah the tradition has that there were 70 but there was a committee uh, who argued with one another about yeah. every word, every jot, every tittle. Yeah. When the Vulgate was translated, mm-hmm. Jerome, Jerome with a with mm-hmm. a group around 350 or 400 A.D. in, in uh, Bethlehem, mm-hmm. he did that translation. He he worked with people mm-hmm. and compared notes on every jot and every tittle and went into Latin. Yeah. Yeah, when and just to interrupt you there, the Septuagint was the Greek translation of the Old Testament Greek before translation Christ. Of the Old Testament, the and then Vulgate the Vulgate, is the Latin translation of the whole Bible. Of the whole Bible, yep. That's just those are good things I think for people to know. Just it's good to know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but these 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 projects were not entered into by yeah. some fellow in his garage. Yeah. Uh, some are, YouTuber who wanted to find yeah. some followers and figured you know, he'd, uh, the yeah. Bible can be translated by anybody who wants to, and, and we'll call that a paraphrase or a translation. Yeah. If you find a, a Bible that is called a version, like mm-hmm. this is the English Standard Version, it's what I preach. King out. James mm-hmm. Version, mm-hmm. A New American Standard Version. When it's called yeah. a version, yeah, in English, it's because it was. Put together by a committee of scholars, yeah, who had to argue for every detail, and it took years and, and it years, took to, years do. to do. It's why you don't see one just popping up every two years like an iPhone. It's a very expensive job. So, are certain? Here's the big question. Okay, the Bible is inspired. The Bible is inerrant. Are there some translations of the Bible? that just as God inspired the human authors to write the Bible, he also inspired the translators to create the version. Because that's actually a pretty big... There's people who actually believe that. So, like, people who believe in King James only, Uh, their argument will be that God carried along that his... that the process of, through the centuries, through something called the Textus Receptus and, and things that we won't really get into... That, that God kept this little inspired 
historical tradition that culminated this particular cultural artifact from the Elizabethan era mm -hmm. uh, into English mm -hmm. rather than mm -hmm. French mm -hmm. or Spanish or Tagalog or Urdu. So why shouldn't we believe that? I'm playing devil's devil's advocate, obviously, but but why should we? We why shouldn't believe that because the King James version is such a narrow parochial uh, text. It's it is one translation among thousands. Yeah, I often like to bring up that not even the Pilgrims in 1620 when they came to the New World, uh, they did not use the King James Bible. They, they actually, actually despised the, the King James. Which one? Didn't they have the Geneva Bible? I think it was actually the Bishop's Bible, the is, Bishop's is what Bible? I believe. It was the Bishop's Bible, um, maybe in addition to the Geneva Bible, but I seem to remember that, that, that it was the Bishop's Bible, which most people don't even... <laughs> yeah. The Geneva Bible, the Bishop's Bible, most people aren't even aware it, of that. It didn't get a lot of publication. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but when you compare them, if you yeah. compare Bishop's Bible, Geneva Bible, and King James Version, you see the interrelationships. Yeah. It's the same language, and... The, a lot of the same scholars interacted around those decisions. Translation problems are a bigger deal than uh, textual problems. Meaning, uh, the, Meaning I, yeah. if you find a difference between two different translations, uh, it probably reflects uh, bias or preference on the part of the translator. And so there yes. are, the, the differences are real. That's a very important distinction. When you find differences, very, it's very possible that it's a product of the translators who are not inspired or inerrant and not a product of the actual transmitting of the biblical works through history. That's right. Yeah. And, and this, is, this is one reason why every pastor has a responsibility to take a look at the commentaries, uh, to take a, a good look at the original if he has the, has yeah. the tools, yeah, uh, and find out what the original words on the page actually were. By looking at Greek and yeah. Hebrew, we actually get very, very, very close to the original. And I want to let people know, too, I grew up not with my head pastor. Pastor Mark was great, but, but I think listening just generally to other pastors Something that pastors love to do is they would love to find a word in their translation <coughs> and find any other definition of the word that was interesting to them <laughs> and say, now your Bible says the word power, but did you know that the Greek word is dynamos and it actually means dynamite? Yeah. So Paul's saying that this is dynamite here. That is a incredibly famous misuse of <laughs> us taking a translation. We should let people know that translations like the ESV, I'm going to say the NIV. Sometimes we hate on the NIV, but but I will I will risk my reputation through the NIV out there. Uh, the NASB, the New King James Version, these are great translations of the Bible. For that matter, even the Old King James Version. Absolutely. You can put up with the language. It is... I say that the Old King, King James... James is a very good... It's just written it's in a different language. Yeah, that, yeah. That's a problem for me. It's not that it's a bad translation. It's just a good translation in a language that I, that I don't speak. Yeah. That's exactly right. If I'm being frank. Yeah. yeah. Um, that's exactly right. But it was spoken at the time. It was spoken at the time. I mean, Shakespeare would have loved it. He would have loved it. And <laughs> in fact, any, anyway, so. Yeah. Um, uh, then the, the, the third level of problem okay. is interpretation. When you come uh, down to trying to understand what's going on. So on transmission 
copy to copy to copy. Textual transmission. Then translation. Translation. Which is us schmucks trying to figure yeah, out. Yeah, us okay. schmucks trying to figure okay. out what's the best word yeah. on the page. Then once you've got the word on the page, yeah. once you've decided, then there's no way I can escape this. What this mm-hmm. verse says is, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, period. Did huh. God really say? Did God really say? Even yeah. the the, the yeah. devil himself yeah. was a biblical interpreter. He would have made he would have made a great modernist biblical critic. He would have made a, a great <laughs> modernist critic. He would have fit in Did great God in 1890. Really? Yes. yes. He, you, you misunderstood yeah. the point of the. Yeah, yeah, uh, and uh, it is always possible to find somebody who disagrees with what the Bible clearly says. And as a pastor, I think that Christians very, and I see this on the other side because I am someone that teaches God's word on a regular basis, is that sometimes people will not only hold to the Bible as inerrant, yeah. but they will, like we said, assume that a translation is inerrant, like a King James Version. But then a lot of Christians will even say that the interpretation from the teaching of their pastor is inerrant, which I'm not going to complain about that. Let me no, tell I, you. I wouldn't but, agree with you. But, but you take it where you can but, get it. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> but that is not true. It is not true. I've come across many times where people have said, yeah, but my pastor told me this. And that doesn't mean that the pastor is an idiot or that. He's wrong, but it, it could mean that he's it wrong. could mean that. Yeah. In some cases, I'm thinking, man, uh, I have to undo teaching here. And my hope is that yeah. when I'm teaching, and people have learned from, if you go to Baby Bible Church, you've learned that oftentimes when I preach, you'll hear me say something like, now this is Stephen talking, or now, now this is just me. I'm going to tell you my idea on this. Because yeah. I want people to know that this is the Bible, and then here's just some 20-year-old schmuck. Uh, and there has to be some kind of marriage between the two. Someone's got to preach God's word. But but let's well let's find the correct distinction between we are now reading the Bible and now I am talking about the Bible and I hope that what I'm talking about reflects the Bible. But it's not guaranteed. It's certainly not always. And everyone in the audience should be having their Bible open, listening, looking down. And, and taking notes. <laughs> Biblical interpretation is not a bad thing. Uh, we should not no. say, oh, well, that's just interpretation. One, you it's unavoidable. You're talking about. It's unavoidable. You can't not interpret the Bible. Everyone does. When you read anything, yeah. you're, you're interpreting from the words on the page, which yeah. are clear, uh, into your own time frame, your own cultural yeah. reference, your own yeah. linguistic thing. All kinds of stuff is going on there, and you're asking yourself, Okay, now that I know what it says, yeah. I'm wondering what does it what does it mean in a technical sense, and more importantly, mm-hmm. what does it mean to me? Exactly. Uh, when I, uh, at that point, we've, we've come a lot of stages from the original, exactly inerrant autographer. When I preach, and I'm letting you guys know this because this is something that I think all Christians should know, especially people that go to Baby Bible Church. When I preach, I'm basically trying to accomplish two things, which is one explain maybe parts of this Bible passage that can be confusing or that are not readily evident. Hey, I mean, it needs to happen. Sometimes we need to throw up another verse or give some historical context. Sometimes that's simply needed. So so that's one. And then two, apply it. Explain and then apply. This is what this means, and this is what it means for your life today. That's right. And between those two things, that... 
that's really all I can offer. But what will happen is that after I preach, I may explain, yeah, this verse here, this word, you need to know this thing from history, and as a result, you really need to be a more loving neighbor. But then someone will come up to me on Tuesday, and they'll say, wow, just what you had to say about my marriage or whatever was just so powerful. And I'm thinking, buddy, (laughs) I didn't preach on that at all. I was preaching on something totally different. Yet you were in God's word, and probably more importantly, the Holy Spirit was in you. That's right. And he was pointing you to God's word in such a way that even though I was talking, uh, the Holy Spirit was doing the rest of the work. And I think truly in that sense, we are allowing the Bible to truly be inerrant. What what you're doing there, uh, Pastor Stephen, and I say that uh, in, in the most... Yeah, respectful way that I can. Pastor, what you're doing is precisely right. We, we theologians, mm-hmm. have a habit of dissecting things into their technical parts. When in fact, what's happening when, when, when God is trying to get through to His people, He speaks to them by the power of his spirit and maybe he uses uh, maybe he uses one-on-one bible study maybe he uses a podcast maybe the pastor's explanation is exactly the trigger that's necessary for god to get through and the real the real power here i'm not going to say the inerrancy i'm, I'm going to say the real power here is god's uh, when uh, when I was preaching regularly, I never got over the majesty, the mystery yeah. of God speaking through me. I never lost that. It's an incredible privilege. It's an amazing thing to happen. And you wonder how can yeah. that I know. work. So, I mean, I'm just yeah, me. I know. Here comes another preacher over exactly. off the street. <laughs> we, are, we are blessed, Dr. McMath. And yep. when we have members come into the church and we give them the membership class, one of the things that we talk about is a privilege of membership is the potential to potentially be able to teach in certain instances. Yes. And, and the reason why we do that, and I always say in the meeting, preaching is a privilege. Yep. It's a privilege. Walking in front of people with God's holy word. And they all said, I'm not saying they come for me, but they're saying, I've decided that this church with this guy is the church that I want to go to. That is a privilege. And if there's anything we can take away from this podcast, it is the fact that preachers are going to preach, translators are going to translate, but all of that is imperfect compared to the original giving of God's word and the continuing, I guess, illumination of that word through God's Holy Spirit in people's lives. So for you watching this, don't be discouraged. Yeah, your translation is imperfect and made by men, but don't see that as a discouragement. See that as an encouragement to know that if you find a problem in the Bible, it is probably more likely a result of that than of what God gave. In the same way, if you find a problem... Uh, with something that you heard on Sunday. 
it's very possible, very possible especially in my case, <laughs> that it's a product of the interpreter, in this case the pastor, just not putting enough heavy lifting in, not the problem of God's word. There is nothing, and I've told you this quote before, and this will probably be the last thing that I say, but there was a 20th century Old Testament professor, Gleason Archer, who he had a great quote that said, there is not a single problem in the Bible that I have found that cannot be solved by simply looking at more of the Bible or by finding more historical information. And he lived to be a very old age. And, right. um, Dictionary and of Biblical Difficulties. Yeah. So one of those books I used to sit on my shelf. We'll put that in the show notes. Say it one more time. The uh, and I think it's a it must be encyclopedia. Encyclopedia of Biblical Difficulties by Gleason Archer. Okay. Yeah. Dictionary would have been better. That nice alliteration. Come on. Yeah, it's a nice would have sold a few more copies. Yeah. 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 Well, any I final. Sorry, I cut you off. I was going to say, any final thoughts from you, Dr. McMath? No, you, you've said it all. Uh, the, uh, <laughs> I usually find a way to. <laughs> you usually find a way. Um, <laughs> most of the preaching that you're ever going to hear is surprisingly faithful to the, to the biblical text. The text itself that we have in the English translations is surprisingly good. Our translators have done an excellent job. Trust it them. is yeah. very, very, very difficult to hide the Word of God when you're doing translation. And those translations are built on remarkably good, outstandingly good manuscript evidence. Um, We're as close as you can possibly get to the inerrant, original, authoritative words of God on paper that bear testimony to the living Word of God that is what touches you. That's what matters. That's, I I think, the bottom line. That's where we're Well, I think that's the bottom line. Thank you, Dr. McMath. And that was good. Uh, Past two weeks, inspiration, inerrancy. Hopefully this has uh, cleared up some things that maybe were clouded for you. And we just, again, we so appreciate you guys watching. Please let us know. Leave comments or message us. We just want to make this as effective as possible while this whole thing is ongoing. We're just taking it really week by week. We're trying to figure this out as well. So (laughs) let us know how we can serve you guys. We hope this is beneficial. And go in peace. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye. All righty. Thank you for listening to Armchair Theology. To listen to our podcast, go to iTunes on your computer or the Apple Podcast app on your phone or tablet and click subscribe. If you follow us on Facebook, go to our page and like us to stay up to date with our content. New podcasts air every Thursday morning, and our Facebook show airs at 6 p.m. on Thursday evenings. You can watch us on Facebook and YouTube, and you can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and all other podcast hosting services. See you next week.